in the beautiful West 7th neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, you're listening to the Capital City Podcast. If you happen to be familiar with the Bible, with the New Testament, think about this. What are maybe the one or two stories or sort of driving motivations in the life of the Apostle Paul that get the most attention? that get the most ink spilled on it might be a good way to put it. What does he talk about the most? What does he keep coming back to? So I've noticed, I think a lot of people who are big fans of Paul, or at least you know, say they are, might think it has to do with some sort of theological controversy or one of their own favorite pet topics. But actually there are two narratives that by far and away take up the most ink in Paul. One of them is more backward looking, not backward like in the bad way, but just as looking to his past, uh, and it's about his conversion, which is you know this miraculous conversion where he's on the way to Damascus to imprison or even kill Christians, and then he sort of he has this miraculous visit from Jesus. He's tossed aside, he's blinded, and Jesus is like, "Dude, stop!" Um, so there's, I mean, that that's a story worth telling, right? So he tells that a number of times. It's actually it's fun to compare the different times he tells that story. Uh, but what's interesting is the other narrative often gets looked over. I think as people are looking for more buzzworthy things or controversial things to focus on, they skip over this next thing that he focuses on. But what's interesting is it's so central to his life that he sets his travel plans around it. Uh, it He decides which cities he goes to and which he doesn't because of this. And he takes up entire chapters of text, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, 2 Corinthians 16, Romans 15, parts of Acts 20, and then sprinkled all the way throughout the rest of his letters, he talks about this other focus. And it's not mass conversions, it's not baptisms, it's not his sermons or his brilliant debates with world leaders at the time. It's actually when he raised money for the struggling church in Jerusalem. And it's something we overlook. It's when he raised money for the struggling church in Jerusalem. And I just think, Man, what if churches that said that they, you know, were really all about the Apostle Paul or people who claimed to be descendants of the Protestant Reformation, uh, sort of the spiritual ancestors of that movement, what if people spent as much time and focus in their ministry doing what Paul actually focused a lot of his ministry around as he did? I mean, raising money for struggling churches. So, a lot of people don't know this, but if you read between the lines, you can actually stitch this whole narrative together that most scholars are agreed upon that the church in Jerusalem was struggling in large part because of all of the things that they had done for the poor. So there's this, this uh, really fascinating passage in the, in the very beginning of Acts. In Acts 2, I'll read the first couple of verses, which might be more familiar, and then it gets even more interesting. So this is just weeks or months after Christ has died and then risen from the dead. In Acts 2, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And now, people are familiar with that verse, but now check this part out. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So the early church, we have other examples of this as well in Acts. The early church actually sold off almost everything that they had. A lot of them were selling their lands and their houses in order to give the money to the poor, uh, which is an incredible testament to the sacrificial love of Christ 
and an incredible testament to how little their joy was found in the here and now. They were selling off their possessions because they knew that their joy was with God in heaven. But I don't know if you've ever met believers who do this. When people become Christians, sometimes uh, they go so far in, which I I really want to encourage, but sometimes they'll they'll do things that they might think, well, if I was a little wiser later on, maybe I would have done that differently. Um, And so the Christians give away everything they have, And then 10 to 12 years later, there's a famine in the region. It doesn't directly record this. There's a prophecy about it, and then we have a lot of historical records of everybody getting out of town, from Egypt to Turkey. No one could grow any crops. There was no water. Everyone was defaulting on their sort of ancient versions of mortgages and stuff, any kind of loans. No one could pay them. So there was this huge famine, and everyone was trying to get out of town. And this early church, who had already sold all their resources, had nothing to fall back on because they had already given it all to the poor 10 or 12 years earlier. What's interesting is that the churches all around the Mediterranean were actually doing quite well and supporting their own poor quite well. And the pagan world around was looking like, wow, that's that's really interesting how well this strange new sect of Jews is taking care of their poor. And then Paul actually did something new from this narrative. Now, this, what he did is he went to these Mediterranean churches and he said, we need to take care of our Christian brothers over in Jerusalem. And to us today, that doesn't seem so crazy. Like, it, frankly, it's because Christianity has changed the West so much that we still will give money to people we've never met or who have no bearing on our own chance for survival or safety in the community. But this was bonkers at the time that he goes to these people who are of a different race they speak a different language, and they've never met the Jerusalem church in their life. And he's going to all these you know, Greek-speaking churches all over the known world. And he raises money for the Jerusalem church. And this is the first instance in history of large groups of people giving large groups of money to people that they have never met and never cared about before who don't speak their own language. Charity, this notion of what we would we see this all the time with nonprofits and stuff. This is a very distinctly Judeo-Christian thing to give a ton of you know money or resources to people who are suffering, who you've never met before or who you don't know. Anyway, that's just an interesting side bit here. So he's saying, hey, Mediterranean churches from all these Greek wealthy cities with merchants and all the rest. He's saying you have resources, and the church in Jerusalem does not. They're in need. So. Um, We find ourselves in a similar position today, that there's a church in our midst that is struggling, not all that unlike the church in Jerusalem was struggling. But before I tell you more about the church, let me first tell you about my friend named Joseph. His name is Joseph Webb IV, actually, and he is an amazing pastor. I mean, just full stop. That's that's, That's all you need to know, almost. He's an amazing pastor. Everyone who works with him or knows him is just very... I don't know, loves the ministry that he does and is very charmed by just his, his friendship. I have a ton of respect for him, and he pastors the Way, the Way Church, which meets in the same space at 1230 on Sundays. And instead of working full-time, making, his, making sure that his own needs are taken care of, he works part-time so that he can work essentially full-time for the church. He wants to do full-time ministry, but there's very little funds coming in through his church. So he works part-time and then works you know, full-time on, on the church. And then a good chunk of what he makes at his part-time job, he actually uses to help pay the rent here at this church. So he works part-time. Half of that, or, or whatever, is going to the church. He makes use of public transit and walk, and he walks around. He, he lives, lives really close here so that he can go without owning a vehicle and spend even more money on this church. 
Uh, his, his church, called The Way, reaches mostly the urban poor. They're a predominantly black church, and they have a, just a thriving ministry in the city. Uh, they have a thriving uh, homeless ministry. One of the most, you guys have heard me say this, one of the most life-giving things that our church has done since we've planted, since we launched, is joining them on the homeless ministry that they do in downtown St. Paul. And we don't lead the thing. I mean, the, the whole thing is theirs. They lead this ministry. We've come in and helped some. We bought some of the materials and the, and the food, but they lead the whole thing. Um, a number of them serve at a nonprofit called Ujama Place. Uh, I don't know. Anyone heard of that? Any hands? Ujama Place? This is a fascinating, it's an amazing ministry. They work with 18 to 30-year-old men, uh, predominantly black men, although they might work with other uh, underserved minorities as well. Um, and what they're doing is taking men who have just come out of prison, and instead of, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this, the U.S. has some of the worst recidivism rates in the world. That means where people go to prison, they get out, and then they just go right back. They're just, just a cycle, endless cycle. And so this is a ministry that works on coaching, counseling, helping people with life skills so that they're not just stuck in this endless cycle, but can actually move on and graft into society. A number of the people at The Way serve in this ministry, and they do an incredible job. They have men's groups. They've seen Muslims convert and come to know Jesus. They give free basketball camps for inner-city youth. I mean, just the list goes on and on. If you want to talk about a thriving ministry, if, uh, if you want to talk about a church that, if it failed, it would send a huge ripple throughout this community, and people would definitely notice a, a decline in the you know, gospel influence and the quality of life in this entire neighborhood, then you're talking about the way. And they are struggling just like the church in Jerusalem. Because they give so much, because they reach out so much, and because of uh, the demographic that makes up their church, they don't have a lot of margin. And because of that, they're not making their rent. It's a classic example of a thriving church in ministry, but they're not thriving in their finances. So their ministry is healthy and expanding, and they're having a huge impact in their community. But because they're not reaching, say, middle-class people that all have stable jobs, there's just not as much margin. There's not as much giving or tithing to go around, and they're not making rent. What they're doing, I'd say, is utterly necessary and beneficial for this community but it is hard to make rent when you're reaching the urban poor. And this is the work that Paul did around this. So let me read a couple of verses from the New Testament. Um, actually, neither from Paul here, but he's, he's responding to the same teaching. James says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And I just think, you know, if we see our brother or sister church doing incredible things, but because the people they reach out to don't have much margin to give, well, then what does it mean if we're just like, well, that's the way of things? You know, it's kind of the same thing of not offering food and help to those who don't have it. Uh, in 1 John 3, uh, if you grew up at all with the uh, influence of Christian faith, you might have memorized the verse John 3.16. And I just think, how different would the church be if the second verse you memorized was actually 1 John 3.16? So there's the book of John, and then there's these letters for 2nd and 3rd John. So here's 1 John 3.16 through 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We're not, love, we're not just to love in word or in talk, i.e., don't just do like the social media, you know, hacktivism, right? Like that's, that's maybe a start, but actually do something about it. Love in deed and in truth. 
And this is what Paul is doing in the early church, and this is what I'd like to do today. And when Paul is doing this by, you know, essentially having global charity for the first time in history, it's really a sign of the gospel. It's, it, it was this sign to early outsiders that, you know, to see rich and poor, male and female, servant and ruler, Roman and non-ruler, all worshiping and all collaborating together in one large body of Christ, it was a huge statement to them about the validity of the death and resurrection of Jesus. This unity, this generosity was just completely unknown at the time. But it's because Jesus rose again that there could be this unity. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but he also came, Paul says, to break down the dividing wall of hostility between nations and races and classes of people. A lot of people know Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, and I think, man, how, how glorious would it be if just as much of the church knew the next few verses as well? Here, listen to this. This is Paul in Ephesians 2, 13, and, and a few verses on. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So he's talking about Jew-Gentile divides. He's talking about racial divides between people here. And he says, uh, Jesus has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He's talking about a vision of complete equality between people who don't speak the same language, who don't come from the same background, don't have the same history. And he says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. A little later, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, Capital City wants to recognize what Paul is doing and just how revolutionary it is in the early church and see how we can follow in his footsteps. So I was asking myself, as I got to know Pastor Joseph better and I got to know the Way community, I was asking myself, what would it look like to give them a breather as a church, you know, what would it look like to take a church, honestly, that's thriving in ministry, but struggling just in finances, and what would it look like for, maybe not us, but somebody, to cover all their expenses, say, for six months, um, you know, with maybe six months rent paid and a small stipend for the pastor, just so instead of paying money into the church, he could actually make a little something for the 30 hours of ministry you know, he's doing per month or per week. What would that look like? And I was kind of having this dialogue with myself, like, man, wouldn't it be cool if there were a church or nonprofit who did that kind of work? Like, some sort of a thriving church partnership fund. You know, and, and you don't just want to give a man a fish, but you want to teach as well. So, but then I, I realize it's really hard to teach someone financial best practices if they can't breathe because they're getting, you know, reminded, I'll just say nicely, every couple of weeks that they're behind on rent and the rest. So what would it look like to lift that burden and then also teach these best practices? You know, it's hard to lift a heavy weight if you're injured, and it can only injure you further sometimes when you try. But if you just take a break and get the right you know, physical therapy, the right training, you can come back to it when you're ready and be just fine. But you need a break, right? You need a bit of a breather to get there. So I was having, again, this dialogue. I almost never put italics in my notes, but I see this, this inner dialogue is in italics, like, wouldn't it be cool if there were a nonprofit who could relieve this pressure and cover this basic expense while also training and coming alongside 
uh, to, to help them get on this firm footing. And I thought, someone ought to do that. <laughs> you could probably see where this is going. Um, so the way has their articles of incorporation, but they're not recognized as a 501c3, which is just fancy tax language for being a tax-free you know, church or nonprofit, that you could receive offerings as, an, as a 501c3, you can get donations without paying taxes on them. It's like every, any person you've ever donated money to, like the Red Cross or World Vision, they all have this status, and almost every church has it, and they don't. And it is not a walk in the park to get that status. And without a 501c3 status, guess what you can't set up? Online giving. No one will let you set up online giving without this status. Uh, and it, online giving is such a blessing because uh, we, we did offering the traditional way the first couple weeks that we launched. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think we took in one $50 check and one $1 bill in two weeks, and we just very quickly realized, like, no one carries money on them anymore. So, like, I can't imagine trying to run a church and only having an ancient method that no one's using anymore to raise money. And so, I mean, online giving is really where it's at, because even though there's not much money to go around maybe at the way, I do know that if they could get their online giving set up, if they could get a 501c3, that people would be able to log on and just give you know, 50 a month or 1% or 2%, 5% of their monthly earnings, whatever it might be, to their church. And very quickly, I think they can become self-sustaining, but not without the 501c3 status. And again, that is no joke. That is the one part of all of the help that we would give that we won't even try. We have an accountant who's like a master at getting 501c3 statuses. Uh, he does it as a ministry, charges only 10 an hour, basically, for his time. So we just, that would be the thing that we work through him for, because we were fortunate. We were grafted under a larger denomination, so we didn't have to apply for our own status because it's a nightmare. Anyway, uh, if they can get that, they can get online uh, giving set up, which then could help them to cover their own needs on their own. But they need that distance. They need that, that breather. So as this dialogue was happening, I, just, I, I heard myself say, well, you start it. You, you start things. You know, this is a church plan. We all, we all started this eight, nine months ago, and it's going well, so why don't we do it? And I was like, but... But no, you know, I, I know a lot of church planters, and none of them raise money for other organizations. They're all raising money for themselves, right? Church plants are always doing big drives to raise for themselves. And there's, there's definitely a place for that. Um, but we weren't doing that. And the reason is, honestly, uh, that we've been fortunate enough, because of your generous giving and because of the church that sends us out, there was no like, fire under our seat to do that because we didn't, we didn't need it. So we have maybe the funds, we have the energy to do some sort of a a drive, but we weren't doing it because, you know, if we don't need it, why not spend that energy on other things? And then I realized our brothers and sisters are in need. They have a thriving ministry, but not they're not thriving in finances. Why not spend that energy and that time raising it for them? Because they it would be a disaster if they left this community. Um, so, th but then I was thinking like, okay, we're a predominantly white church. They're a predominantly black church. The last thing I'd want to be is like the paternalistic white guy who's like, Maybe we can teach you some finances. Like, that's a, that would be a disaster. So this would have to be something that was genuinely wanted 
right, before you'd even bother. Because if you want to help more than someone wants to be helped, or if you want a partnership more than somebody else, then that's not a partnership. You just have this sort of ugly paternalistic mess. Um, and so I, I'm you know, good friends with Joseph. So I floated this idea, not about the money at all, because almost no one could think clearly when someone's offering you free money, right? So, um, but I floated this idea just about helping them set up their 501c3, just helping them set up some, some of the boring like bureaucracy budget stuff just to get uh, on a more firm footing. And he was just so excited about the idea. And you, you can imagine that a few weeks later, a few months later, when I floated him the idea of like, hey, maybe in two or three years when we're you know, in a better spot financially, I was just sort of giving the hypothetical to not get his hopes up. But what would you think about this sort of thing where we actually stepped in and helped the way with their financial needs while then doing this 501c3 stuff? Um, and he's like, yeah, man, that would be great. If you guys are ever ready to do that, we would jump at it in a second. It would just be incredible. Uh, and then I, I basically told him, I was like, well, I just wanted to feel you out on that, but we're ready to do that right now. I just wanted to know, like, this isn't a weird, I don't want to feel like we're stepping on toes or being paternalistic or anything, but like your ministry is incredible and I cannot see you not being in this neighborhood. Um, and he was just, he was just ecstatic and he said, man, I know 20 white pastors and none of them have ever considered doing anything like this. And I think he meant that as an extension of the church. This isn't my idea. This is, the, this is Capital City Church's idea, the leadership's team, leadership team's idea. Um, but I just, I realized at that moment, I had been, I had been sitting on this idea for three or four months, but so scared of being this paternalistic, you know, white guy who maybe, you know, doesn't want to step on toes that I didn't even approach what Paul is telling us to do, right? To help our brothers and sisters who don't have the world's goods, who can't pay rent, but when you don't want them to leave the neighborhood, what, how can we help, right? So I was thinking about this, um, and then just in talking to the pastor, realizing that he was absolutely for this from a hypothetical standpoint, and then when it became real, how much more, and I just thought, you know what, we're, we're going for it, we're, let's do this. Uh, so I talked to the leadership team, and they were all on board, and uh, yeah, we plunged forward. So this is what we're endeavoring to do. We want to relieve the ways financial stress for about six months. In reality, it'll be four months of full, full relief and then probably four of half, which works out. Well, just, so I'm just going to use the number six because that's what the budget numbers work out to be. So it'll be about six months of help. And during that time, we will help them establish their 501c3 status and other best practices so that they can get set up and stand on their own feet at the end of this and continue to do amazing ministry that honestly a lot of us just don't have the open doors to do in this community. Uh, and it's actually not that crazy when you look at the numbers. So I was a full-time supported missionary for 10 years before planting this church. Raising money is a familiar thing to me, and I know how quickly people can actually raise money when they try. You know, a lot of people, like if a couple wants to go on a mission trip, they might send out just a slew of letters to their family and friends, and say they're going on a mission trip somewhere where the plane tickets are expensive, They'll just send a letter, and all of a sudden, within three or four weeks, they can raise $4,000, $5,000 to send them both on a mission trip. And they just spent a few hours, just a few hours total, working on that letter and mailing them and you know, licking them shut. You still have to do that. I'm not sure. Uh, but you, you get what I'm saying. It's not actually that hard to raise money. So their rent is the same as ours. It's $750 a month, which is a steal for right in the city, by the way. $750 a month for this church space, uh, which after six months would be about $4,500. Uh, there's that, then there's some IRS fees to apply for a 501c3. It's 500 to $1,000. Uh, there's 300 for this account, and then we were thinking, 
what would be great is to be able to give him through his church, not, not as an employee of ours, but through his church, a $500 stipend a month uh, just so that he can be making at least some money while doing an incredible amount of ministry every week. And if you add that up, you, you know, there's some give or take in there, but you get about $8,500. So our goal as a church is to raise $8,500. And here's what's really cool about this. Every dime of it would go to the way. So because we're a church, we're not a typical nonprofit. I mean, if you give to any nonprofit, even the really big dogs out there, they all take a cut. And they say it right in the fine print. They have to take 6% or 10% or 12, depending on how normally the larger they are, the less of a cut they need to take. Because they have all of these administrative workers and all these people that need to get paid in order to work with those offerings. But what's cool is, as Capital City Church, we are a church who receives our regular offerings. And part of our offering, part of our donation in this, is that we're going to run this whole thing without taking a cut at all. We're going to raise all this money, and every single dime of it will go to the way. Um, but we're, So we're, we're, we're starting with one. I have some big dreams here about where this could go. So imagine where this could go if this catches on well. You know, we're starting with one. We're starting small. But imagine if churches all over the city start to hear about this, or rather the churches that are, whether they're benefiting from it or giving into it, imagine this, if you could start connecting churches all over the city, like churches that have means, and then churches that are doing incredible work, but are struggling in their finances. And instead of just having churches that have means sort of dump money into some pot that is called Capital City Church, and they don't know what's happening, what if you actually partnered churches up directly, that they could form a partnership, they could do joint worship services, pray for one another, and you could have sort of supporting and helping churches and then receiving churches all over the Twin Cities, partnering in this way together. And we would, in a sense, just be the one facilitating the handshake in that case. So that's kind of a, a long-term dream. Um, I, when I think about what it means to do gospel outreach in communities that we don't have as natural of a door into, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. A lot of times these communities have solid and thriving uh, neighborhood churches, and they're already doing incredible work. They're, they're doing great outreach. They just need some help. So if you want to, I was thinking about this, if you want to reach refugee or immigrant communities, help their churches that already exist in the communities. If you want to help the urban poor, if you want to help uh, black kids in the city who have a single parent who's working two jobs just to try to make ends meet, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Help their churches, help their institutions that serve them. If you want to reach young men just getting out of prison who've been chewed up by the system, you can go in there and be a mentor, and you'll have, I think, some success, although there'll be, because of long history and things we don't have time to get into, there'll be a steeper road to having that trust, whereas the leaders from the way might be, be able to go into that setting and on day one be received with incredible trust and respect. And I'm already seeing that when I, I dropped Joseph off at Ujamaa the other day, and it's just incredible the reach that they have with men just getting out of prison. So uh, I'll skip this whole thing. <laughs> uh, I want to leave time. I've got a whole thing on like mass incarceration that I'm going to skip. Uh, we'll get we'll get to it. We'll get to it later. Uh, <laughs> oh man, um, <laughs> I'm glad you guys like that. So we're starting this this thriving partnership. And, and again, um, I'm kind of a dreamer. So here's the, let's, let's look at the, the least successful scenario, the worst case scenario that could come out of this. Let's say we raise the money. I have no doubts that we can raise the money. But let's say we help the way, and it just goes, okay. It would still be a huge help to them. They'd have better systems in place down the line, and it would still be a huge victory. And I think that's the worst case scenario that's realistic. 
But that is not the future that I see. I could see this going much better where people give more than we're trying to raise, and we're not capping it off. If people give more, we'll still probably just give the way what we've decided, but then all of a sudden, we've got money to do this with another church, and we start reaching out, and we start asking about what we can do. Um, we're, I'm expecting mostly one-time offerings for this, but I have purposely, almost as a taunt, almost as a dare, I have left the possibility open to give monthly. So most of our, our donors, are, are, I guess, is that what we call it? donors? Uh, people who give offerings here give monthly, which is incredible. And I'm expecting mostly one-time donations to this, but I've opened it up to monthly donations. So if people want to give to this regularly, I'm kind of just as a dare, I'm just letting it be open. Because if people give regularly to this, we will just, we'll just keep it open. And we will keep serving churches as we can and as money comes in. And a dream that I have is that we talk to First Free and that we talk to Trinity churches that have helped send us out, talk to other big churches that frankly have much deeper pockets than a church of you know 50-odd attenders, 60-odd attenders, um, what would it look like to start pairing churches that have real means, who could take on, I mean, if it costs eight grand to do this, a lot of churches could take on 10, 10 churches tomorrow if they wanted to. And what would it look like to start doing that in the city? So that's some of the big vision. And I could honestly see it going that way. I'm not saying it will, but I could see that happening if God moves. Um, and if so, we'd, we'd have to <laughs> figure out how to handle it. We'd, we'd have to turn it into its own nonprofit and like put someone on it or something. Um, so I... I just, I see no greater work than supporting these churches who are doing this kind of work, especially work that we could, we could try to do the same things that they are, but they have an in that we simply do not in the community, especially too when you think about language barriers and other communities that we might help, refugees, immigrants. I mean, there are, there are doors that are so closed unless you spent years in language school, and we could enter into this kind of a partnership and have uh, an effect. So I want to ask you guys to prayerfully consider giving to this thriving church partnership uh, in order to support the way for six to eight months. So what we're actually going to do now, and stay with me here because we won't break quite yet, what we're going to be doing is taking uh, five to seven minutes as a church to do a special offering. Now again, no one carries checks or money or cash really, so I was like, well, we're not going to pass a plate. Um, and I was feeling kind of bad about asking for anything. But I was like, well, none of it's for us. And two, we never pass a plate, and we, this is our first special offering in eight months. A lot of churches do one every month. So I was like, okay, it's okay, we can do this. Um, so what we're gonna do is a, a digital special offering. So for the 80, 90% of you who are already on our church email list, what I did is I queued up an email to go out to everyone right at six, right as we were starting our service. So most of you will have a link sitting in your email inbox that goes right to this fund that we're trying to raise for. Uh, don't bother with a slow Wi-Fi. You can just use your phone's connection. Uh, but if you're not on our list, don't worry. I've got other things here. So on the back of our pamphlet thing here, I included text-to-give instructions. Now, I always, I'm kind of a tech guy, but I get a little overwhelmed by text-to-give instructions. So all it is is you, you open up a new text to this number, 84321, and then you could just send it blank, and it'll send you back a thing, and it'll, it knows where you are based on your GPS, which is kind of freaky, and you could click on Capital City, whatever. But if you just text this number, 84321, what you can type in is the amount plus the way. So you could type in like 100 space, and then the way with no spaces. It'll send you a link and set you up from there. What I would have done if I were in your shoes and I were interested in doing this, um, I would have tuned me out by now and just Googled Capital City Church St. Paul. There's a give link at the top of our webpage. You can just open up the menu and, and you'll find it. Yeah, I think it'll bring you to the general giving page, though. so you'd have to pull the little arrow down to give to the thriving church 
partnership. So those are the different ways to give. Now, just a few more words before we actually break to take this time for this special offering. I don't want to pressure you into giving, uh, but here's something interesting that if we were to pass a plate, everyone would pass the plate even if they weren't giving. So in the same way, in order to show how undaunting this process is, it's fine if you don't intend to give, but I would like everyone to open the email and actually click on the link or to like Google our website and just see how easy it is to get to this form. You don't have to give, but I sort of want to take the fear away from like what, it, what does it look like to even click on these things, you know? So whether you're Googling Capital City Church St. Paul or doing this text to give instruction, I would encourage everyone to at least kind of play around with it even if you're not intending to fully uh, give. And then, you know, if you need to look at your finances later or decide, that way you will at least know it's, it's incredibly, easy, incredibly easy to get to this thing. Uh, so now, I'd like for us to take five minutes as a church. Uh, the guys here will put on a song from our Spotify playlist. Um, and yeah, poke around, give if you can, uh, take a few minutes to look at the, the stuff. And I would just say one more thing. Um, we intend also to give from our general fund, if we can, into this program. So don't like just cannibalize your own giving. If you're already giving to Capital City Church, thank you so much. Don't slash those funds just to move around, because we're already going to be moving around from that fund. So I'm, I'm hoping, if you're able uh, to, do, to give above and beyond, think of your, you know, your Christmas giving, end of year stuff. This is all going to the way, and we won't benefit from it at all. And again, I opened up the possibility for monthly giving, so... Test me in this church. <laughs> um, again, the main goal is to get $8,500 to help the way. Um, I'll just pray to close this. Lord, thank you so much for the way. Thank you so much for the Pastor Joseph and all the amazing work they are doing. Uh, and I thank you too for leading us as Capital City Church to help in this way that you were, you had moved in Paul in the early church to do the same thing showing what it looks like for people from different backgrounds to help one another out for the overall glory of your kingdom. And I pray that you would help us in this to do the same. I pray that it would be a wonderful partnership, um, that you would bring churches together from around the Twin Cities, that this could grow and actually become a force, Lord. And I just pray you'd help us to be faithful and do a great job with this first one. Uh, we thank you so much and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a project of the Capital City Church in the West 7th community of St. Paul, Minnesota. Find us on Instagram at Capital City Church STP or visit our website for more information at CapitalCitySt.Paul.com. Our music today, Slow Burn, was written and produced by Kevin McLeod under the Creative Commons 4.0 license. <laughs>